now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here in cold Portland, Oregon. Spencer cold and Shea. rainy. It's cold and rainy. Well, it's actually been a little bit of sunshine out here in the last couple of days. Yeah, I got out and played a little disc golf. For yeah, a so, of days. so it's, it's not too nice. rainy. It's been nice. But it's cold. Yeah. The sun doesn't matter. It's, it's all cold. good, though, because we're in here in the beautiful Momentum studio. Absolutely. It's nice and toasty in here. We got Zeb engineering the episode for us here today. Uh, and uh, Shout Zeb. Shout out to Zeb, absolutely. Does a great job making sure that our audio is A-OK, making sure things are quality out here. So, you know, big appreciation to Zeb. But it feels good to be back behind the mic, Spencer. It really does. I we was took just the week off. That. We took the week off Thanksgiving. It was absolutely. nice. Had to take that break. Absolutely. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving. I mean, we took a week off from the podcast. True. From this microphone. Yeah. But... but there was some other microphone usage going on. A- absolutely. And let's open it up talking about it. This will semi be part of the announcements because we do have to call more games this weekend. But Spencer, you called your first ever college basketball games <laughs> because games. it wasn't just one game, but you called your first yeah. ever college basketball games. We did four in a day. Yeah, it was pretty tight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm already locked in. I'm going to be calling the Pacific University men's and women's basketball games pretty Absolutely. much for the foreseeable for future until they kick me off the mic <laughs> until well, they well, tell me i can't come back in the it, gym it, i'm gonna be up there it's not even that I've, I've talked to the staffers and we're just gonna lay it out here on the podcast but i talked to the folks at pacific on, on the staff and they're pretty much kind of letting me do my thing with it so you're my primary analyst sure. but i'm also gonna have games where i'll bring in alumni to come be on the call. We got Sarah Curl, who's one of the greatest boxer women's basketball players ever. I'll bring her out for some games, especially on the women's side. Um, I'm going to extend the invitation to some guys that were on the men's basketball team in the past to be able to come and be an analyst at the game. So it'll be kind of like a rotating chair. Well, that's what it should be. Absolutely. It should be like people trying to grow. You're trying to grow the community of the sport, and especially a boxer basketball. I mean, I was a boxer for a brief time. I didn't play no sports. But you know, I have boxer pride, and I'm down to sit there. You know me, I'm a, I'm a, I'll come off the bench at any given time, <laughs> all right, or whatever. You need me in the starting lineup. You need me to bet whatever you need. Man. Well, Jack you'll be there trade. with me Saturday. This coming Saturday, yes, we will. Pacific plays against Pacific Lutheran. 4 p.m. tip off for the women. 6 p.m. tip off for the men. So you'll definitely be there Saturday. Mm-hmm. They play Friday as well against George Fox, but they play on the road and. I only call the home games at Pacific. So um, we won't be doing Friday's games. Actually, what will we be doing Friday, my friend? Well, we're going to be at the Crystal (laughs) Ballroom, and we're going to be looking at uh, old Thundercat playing some tunes up there. I'm stoked. It's going to be tight. It's going to be super dope. We were going to go to Newburgh and watch them play. Yeah, we were going to go to Newburgh. I'll be honest with you. We were going to go to Newburgh and watch the games, especially on the women's side, George Fox women are essentially a national powerhouse at the NCAA Division III level. Pacific women is certainly a program on the rise. Um, They made it to the postseason in the last complete season they had. Last year was a condensed season, of course, because of COVID-19 interruptions and complications. So they only played like 10 or 12 games just to be able to have a year. Obviously, everybody gets a freebie year from last season, though, and so it doesn't affect you in terms of your eligibility. You can come in this year at the same grade, class, whatever year you were in last year without losing a year, essentially. So um, 
that was, you know, that was obviously a thing, but it will be a huge game. Yeah, it'll be a because hell of a game for sure. It's probably the top two teams in the conference going head to head in the first conference matchup of the year. Right. Uh, it'll be a good matchup. Pacific, they took their first L uh, over this last weekend or the last weekend that they played, the, the win. Yeah. And uh, it was a tough fought battle, but we're going to bounce back. Absolutely. You know, George Fox, George, I'm not worried about road games necessarily. You know what I mean? I, I think as far as uh, Pacific's women go, they have a great contention to get into the conference tournament. Tournament, and, absolutely. And so if if they keep on the same track that they're going, they will get there. Again, even if they lose to George Fox, which you will never hear me say that the Pacific I don't think they will. I think we're going to go in there and we're going to George do Fox, damage. baby, because I'm a boxer alum. I'm, I, 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 I'm all the way boxer. If you if you want me to um if you want to check ask the tapes, me if you should bet check the tapes he ain't never said nothing like that I'm not, check the I tapes. never I won't do it I <laughs> won't do it. it I'm an alum I'm yeah. not, even if I know what the result probably will end up being you won't hear it come out of my mouth so you might want to ask somebody else because I'm boxers all the way but but nonetheless even if the scenario happened where they did lose on Friday to George Fox again is George Fox who will definitely place in the top four in the conference this year. So it'll be a postseason like opponent, but obviously if you can steal that win here in early December and really try to sweep the weekend, essentially you start off two and zero. the next slate of conference games don't start until the end of the year, top of next year anyway. So you get these two early conference games and then you get like four or five more preseason games to kind of round out the remainder of this month. And then it goes from the whole January and February. It's all conference play. So this slate of games is always a big weekend to just sort of get yourself a head start. Sure. You definitely don't want to get behind 0-2 if you're the women, of course, as we're talking about, if you're anybody. But it also is a weekend that can really get you a jump start before the remaining slate of conference games happen in January. But again, both the women and the men, we will be on the call Saturday, Pacific Lutheran. So you can pull tune up in. to the Stoller Center or you can tune into the broadcast and listen to your guys on GoBoxers.com. Yeah, GoBoxers.com. You got to tune in. It's a pretty seamless, easy, just click play, and you're watching and you're listening. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's very seamless. easy. I mean, it, it, it takes you, it guides you right to the promised land. All <laughs> you got to do is open your eyes and read. Um, also, Portland State, they're playing tonight, actually. They, they're probably going to start, it's 541 right now. We're recording on a Thursday night, December 2nd. They tip off at 6 p.m., but they're on the road this weekend as well, and they're in the same situation. Two conference games this weekend. The remainder of the month, they'll play four or five more um, non-conference opponents, and then January, February, and obviously early March, as you get into the conference tournament mode and all that, March Madness, they'll be playing Big Sky play all the way through. So this weekend, they're at Idaho State and at Weber State, two things, two teams that I think they should be able to go out and beat sure. and give them a head start. I'll be back on the call for them next Saturday. They'll be playing against Cal Poly at home. So tune in on ESPN+. And I want to also just send out a token of appreciation. A lot of the podcast listeners reached out whether you were locally here in Portland or beyond, and you all tuned in to the rivalry game last week, University of Portland versus Portland State. Now, obviously, Green University out. of Portland, 
They got the best of them. They're looking pretty good. In fact, it's attack. In fact, the West Coast Conference is looking really good, and we'll get into that here in Mm. a second. But obviously, to round out this Portland State stuff, um, they did lose. You know what I mean? And like I said, University of Portland, they're a really good team. Um, They're they're off to a really good start this year. And again, their conference is strong. It's definitely a formidable conference. Now, obviously, at the top, you got Gonzaga, but Portland State should be able to pull out these two games on the road. And if they do. You That's want a that. huge step for them. Yeah, you want that confidence. Those two row games back to back. They had a little bit of a rocky, you know. Yeah. I guess you would call it a home stand. Yeah, if you I mean, will. they yeah they they lost to UP and then they actually went on the road after UP and they got handled pretty well by Iowa. But Iowa's a Big Ten school, so it's to be expected in that regard. You know, I was really good, but these two games this weekend, I, I feel like they should be able to go two and zero. I really do. So. We'll see if it happens. But again, the WCC, man, have you been down into these college hoops? I have been as of trying late? to as much as I can. The NBA is crazy, and you know yeah, I work we'll like get a dog. There. But <laughs> I, as much as I can, I'm trying to tap into the college hoops. But uh, admittedly, I'm not as locked in. I really like the direction that West Coast college hoops is going in, and the reason that, I what, say what do you that. Mean by that? Obviously, the Pac-12 has always been like the superior conference in the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it just is what it is in that regard. But amongst national conferences, the the Pac-12, when it comes to the Power Fives, exactly, they're the kid brother. brother. They kind of get looked down upon in comparison to the ACCs, the Big Tens, the Big Basketball as a whole. Absolutely. So, so my point in that is, you have a conference like the WCC. And Gonzaga, who's put in mad work in the WCC, has gotten themselves to a point where they're a legitimate national powerhouse in present-day collegiate basketball. Like, I wouldn't call them a national powerhouse over the history of collegiate basketball. But the last four or five years? Absolutely. Present-day collegiate basketball, the only thing they haven't done is bring home a national championship. They've had undefeated seasons, regular seasons, of course. They've gone to Final Final Fours. fours. They've gone to national championship games. They lost in the national championship game. Last yeah, right year. there, bro. And and I love the trajectory, too. You know what I mean? The Absolutely. storytelling is really strong with Gonzaga's program right now. But what's happening is with that, I, at, as I mentioned, the WCC conference, you have the University of Portland's off to a hot start this year because they're able to bring in a head coach in Shante Leggins, who just made an NCAA tournament appearance last year coaching Eastern Washington, and they competed really well. And he was willing to leave that job where he just made an NCAA tournament appearance, come to University of Portland, who was at the bottom of the WCC last year in standings, because those two, at minimum two games, because obviously it could be three times that you'd play against Gonzaga if you face off with them in the conference tournament, those two to three games that you're guaranteed to play against Gonzaga every year are huge games. They're huge games for athletes and players in terms of wanting to play professionally, whether right. it be the NBA the or overseas, to the be able exposure to, play that to be able to play that times, team two to three times a year. Yeah. yeah, three times potentially, two times guaranteed. guaranteed. 
that's a major deal now in college basketball. I mean, look, they're bringing in guys now who Shant Holmgren, he'll be a top two or three pick in the draft next year. And Gonzaga used to be a a program that obviously brought in good guys, but you didn't really hear about them being lottery picks in NBA drafts. And now they're at the point where they're bringing in lottery guys to Spokane. There's always been that in, I mean, not always, I guess, but I mean, throughout the history of the modern NBA, it's considered a like if you go 37th or something like Clay Thompson or whatever coming from a school in along the West Coast at all or in a conference like that Washington especially yeah then it's that's way overachieving yeah not because these guys haven't played great basketball or have numbers to support being unbelievable first round picks like a Clay Thompson or whatever or what have you. But just because it's from they're from the West Coast, it's a bias there for whatever reasons they play in. For whatever the reasons may be, but now that you see these West Coast conferences, because again, if I'm giving the Pac-12 the benefit of the doubt, I would still say they're they're the superior college basketball conference on the West Coast. But you look at what Gonzaga did to UCLA. You look at St. Mary's in the year that they have, and what they did to the Ducks. You look at. BYU, who just lost kind of a tough game yesterday, but they made it to number 12 in the nation. I already mentioned the turnaround of University of Portland. Like, they got off to a hot start this year. Uh, it's just some stress. University of San Francisco, I don't know if they're still undefeated, but they started off the season like 8-0. If they just lost, it was within the last couple of days. So, like, they're looked at as a conference based on the, the preseason that they've had in their first 8 to 10 games or so that probably could have four at-large bids in the NCAA tournament. And that's not coming from the Pac-12. That's coming from the WCC. Right. That is major in terms of, again, the regard that West, that West Coast collegiate basketball is being held in. And obviously the Pac-12 always has the opportunity to do that as well. But to be able to have both conferences, and then you're always going to get a Mountain West school. I think Mountain West is a really solid conference. They – Produce schools like San Diego State, who we've seen make deep tournament yeah. runs. So you and look produce, at those three, and produce NBA talent and produce NBA talent exactly. Yeah. So like you see what we got cooking over here on the West Coast, and I think Gonzaga Gonzaga has probably played the most pivotal role in that. But we're starting to earn our respect at the Division One college basketball level here on the West Coast, man, because it's not just about the Pac-12 anymore, as it should be. And we were talking about this earlier. It's funny that West Coast basketball is held in, I mean, pantheon of greats regard at the AAU level, at the NBA level. But then when you get down to collegiate basketball, it's always overlooked. And I just never understood that. Yeah. And so it's it's just nice to be able to see programs. I mean, dude, it's University of Portland, for instance. I live a hop, skip, and a jump. Literally. Right there. And I love that campus. They have a great facility. They have a great program. Great great school all around, academically and otherwise. These are we're in a we're in a time now where all of these younger schools can compete. And obviously we've seen the culmination of that come through the years with the Dame Lillards and the Steph Curries and the coming from these mid-major schools. And, yeah. But I mean, it, it's getting way deeper. Yeah. Now we're getting way deeper into the, you know, into the to the the grand tapestry of American basketball. Yeah. You know, I think that there's a lot of untapped American talent 
from these young or from these smaller conferences and from smaller schools yeah. that can translate to good basketball playing. Absolutely. And, and we hear about those types of stories at the, at the all highest the time level. As well, at the highest level, for sure. And that's what I'm saying. We hear about those types of stories all the time. Like that'll always be a narrative that we have so much untapped ability out there that don't get opportunities based on politics, whatever the case may be. But when you can see, acknowledge, and appreciate the uptick when it comes to our particular region, and it's tangible in this case, like I said, the WCC has potential to have four at-large bids with Gonzaga, San Francisco, BYU, and St. Mary's. And like I said, then you got a Portland team who's seven and two right now. Like, like, and they were at, like I said, they were at the bottom of the totem pole in the WCC. We all know that they had a terrible stint under the Blazer legend Terry Porter, but I know for a fact they brought in a damn good coach, not just because I saw him a couple days ago and they beat Portland State, but I've been calling his games for the last four years when he was at Eastern Washington because Eastern Washington is Big Sky as well as Portland State. And he was... Eastern Washington was essentially them and Montana was essentially the class of... The Big Sky Conference yeah. during the time stint that I've been calling games for yeah. the Big Sky. Montana so and Eastern Washington. Montana and Eastern teams. Washington. And then again, like I said, yeah. Eastern Washington made it to the NCAA tournament last year and competed, was beating Kansas at halftime in round one. <laughs> like, you know, obviously Kansas was too much. But yeah, yeah, Kansas was too much. But yeah, they just got the, out programmed. That's what I mean. Like, if you get if you let Especially like University of Portland having the opportunity to play Gonzaga. If you let these younger, or I mean, I guess these sort of lower grade programs yeah. get around that shit that goes on when you're with the big dogs, if you let them get too much game off of just the way that they wiggle on that side, yeah, they'll take it and run with it. And, take it and, and we're seeing around. the elevation right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's always cool to be able to talk a little bit of college hoops because, hey, I call college hoops, but I, I do like what I'm seeing with West Coast Collegiate Basketball now from the WCC. Obviously, the Pac-12 is a Pac-12, and like I said, giving them the benefit of the doubt just based on how long they've been the class of West Coast Collegiate Hoops, you're you you're still going to consider their major, their Power 5 conference at the end of the day. Like, you still have to give them – that respect at least, but uh, that gap is closing with these other conferences out west, man. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say, like, uh, I mean, I don't call to action on this show much, but I mean, even starting, you know, just calling the games and trying to watch more college basketball, just getting into the minutiae of all the sports that go on in cities all over the place, it makes me go, like, damn. This whole time, I could have just been going to these games. Yeah, it's great. Paying, what, $8 or whatever? It's affordable. It's a great outing for families. You're with your community. You're with your community and people you. that, yeah, near and, you and dear to you. get to see a great product, especially if you love the game of basketball, man. Man, listen, you look at, obviously, I'm speaking to the tip top of the industry in this regard, but you look at the NBA, and you don't even have to know 
how many business deals are being made without knowing there's a whole lot of business deals being Damn, made at those NBA games and at those NBA arenas. I mean, you just see it from the corporate folks that's coming in, the entertainment folks that's coming in. Like, there's so much happening. You hear people like E-40 and all the startup investments he's made. A lot of that comes from people that he's meeting and networking with at Golden State Warrior Games. Now, obviously, we're going to bring it back down a little bit and talk about local collegiate basketball, but still, there's small business owners at these games. There's donors at these games. There's there's people that go to school at these places that are trying to do whatever it is that they're doing and what it is that they're attempting to become professionally. Again, there's families, there's parents, there's so there's community. It's the word you said it. There's community yeah. at these games where things like that, networking opportunities and and life changing relationships That's can it. happen right in these gyms. Building. All over the state of Oregon. <laughs> I mean, in every state. In, in every, every state. Country. Absolutely. But obviously for us, it, we're in, in Oregon. Oregon. And, yeah, and that's no what we doubt. essentially no, talk about. No but doubt. And I love that being able to go in and boosters. have the opportunity. <laughs> like, have the opportunity to build relationships because that's what the fucking game is for. Alumni. It's I mean, for that. The list you goes know? on. It's for that. We were talking, man. We were talking about, I proposed to you a question. I said, well, how long is it going to be until we start saying that, um, uh, basketball is the most like quintessentially American sport. And then you argue that it's more quintessentially global. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, you know, if we can get with that community based relationship building, digging through and really taking time to find some of these younger talents, these mid-major schools, these, these, you know, D three players. I mean, this is all just, you can make what you want matter in your life. Like, whatever's yeah. around you, you can make that matter. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like the Oftentimes, we try to bite a, off more than we can chew. Yeah, you try to be like, oh, it's got, it's either it has to be at this level or it's not. And it's yeah. like, no, man. You can make whatever's in front of you matter. Absolutely. We do it right here on this podcast. Portland State, whether it's Portland State, whether it's Pacific University, yeah. Division Three basketball. Like, we're down in in the community, yeah. whether it's street roots and, and what we do politically or what I do politically and socially right. out here with a, 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 a local organization that's held in high regard. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what that's what I love about this podcast too at large is because although we talk about mainstream storylines or mainstream incidents, mainstream events, whatever it is you want to deem it, current events, one thing that this podcast tends to try to do, obviously with me at the helm of it, is to circle what we see and what we read in the mainstream back to what's actually happening locally in terms of things that we are engaged in and with and that matter and affect us more because it's happening in our own community and where it is that we are. This isn't a gossipy podcast. It could come off as that if you just don't kind of catch the connection or the correlation or the attempt to try to do that because everybody won't catch it. And a lot of the times if you don't catch it, it's just because you're not really paying attention. You just, for whatever reason, dial in at whatever particular moment you decide to because of whatever's happening at that particular moment in time. But 
one thing that we essentially try to do is we don't just like to gossip about these bigger issues that are happening nationally or globally. We like to correlate that to what's happening right here and how it in- impacts and affects what it is that we're engaged in and involved here right here in our community. And, and I think that's important for more people to, to, be- to begin to do, especially podcasters, because Hey, man, I'm not going to come on here and spew the same stuff that you're going to see on first take. You'd rather go. You'd rather go see first take. Talk about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you can see you're going to see. It. I mean, anyway. they've got the production. They've got the experience. They've got right. the platforms. They've got the famous people. Like if you want to get first take content on the Wake Up and Win podcast, you're just going to click first take rather than the Wake Up and Win podcast. And I would understand why. Not to say that I'm better or worse, but I would understand based on all the elements at hand why that would be the case. But because we talk about stuff that's unique to us, First Take can't duplicate what we're doing here with the Wake Up and Win podcast. Other shows can't duplicate what it is that we're doing because we're the ones doing it. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it, your success is measured in, you know, the relationships that you build and the way that those people feel about you. It's not about your success pitted up against people that you don't get to meet, right? You don't get to see. And a podcast is the perfect conduit for meeting people and getting to understand people and getting to know people on a more personal level. And that's why I I 100% agree. That's why they are important, I think, because if you hyper-localize issues on a socio-political level, sports, uh, you know, uh, city, parks, whatever whatever you want to, and you bring in the people that that are really affected by that, that are really in the streets every day, and you have those conversations, you can go get your, you know, uh, nationally syndicated pop takes on sports or whatever, but... If you want to understand what's going on in your community, then you got to go tap in with your community members. Absolutely. And the good thing about podcasts is, is that it's all on wax. It's all on wax. So it's all being documented. I mean, what? what yep. we're, you're already at 160, 70, 80 About 100. Plus. We, we, we're we're inching mean, up on 160, I believe. We're at 150-something. <laughs> yeah, it's almost 160. <laughs> yeah. Episodes. I mean, that's a lot of episodes. Absolutely. You know? and like, but that's, that's just a snapshot of... The amount of time that we've spent just trying to, you know, make a difference in the community. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. What, what I'll talk a little bit more making, about but... that because there's a particular topic that I do want to get to. Doing the work, I guess. Doing you know. the work, and, and, and not even just doing the work, but the type of results you get from doing the work, and how that should be prioritized. And I and I'll just jump straight to it now. I wanted to talk about it in terms of the passing of Virgil Abloh. For those of you who don't know who Virgil is, he is an an icon, a cultural icon in the world of fashion. Um, a lot of people know him because of his relationship with that of Kanye West. Um, he was he's got the off white brand through Nike. He's got you know he's the creator or was of course the creative director for Donda which is Kanye West's um, creative agency but also he was a big time director for Louis Vuitton and we all know that these more high-end fashion companies and entities are really hard for black people to be able to crack not only crack through but to be decision makers when they crack through like your your art might crack through but 
it'll be bought out, whatever the case may be. You don't really have decisions. You don't really have the power to make decisions in these spaces and in these rooms. But Virgil was one of those people that was able to do that. And we could talk about Virgil from so many different lenses, but obviously I'd like to talk about Virgil through the lens of sports and how he's affected sports. You've seen many people in the sports community that have come out since he's passed away. Unfortunately, for those that don't know, he privately battled cancer for a couple of years. And on Sunday morning, we all were shocked with the news posted from his page and companies and entities that he was associated and affiliated with about his passing on Sunday morning. Um, again, due to like a rare form of, of cancer that he's been fighting for the last couple of years. And obviously, you know, as people say, you never know what people are going through. But piggybacking off some of what we were just talking about and connecting that to that of Virgil, like Virgil accomplished so many things. And like I said, let's just stick to sports here. In fact, we can just stick to Nike in our backyard. There was an article that I read that essentially said that Virgil was the biggest name in connection to Nike and Jordan brand other than the name Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan himself. When I read that, it, it, it stopped me in my tracks because you look at what Jordan brand has obviously become. You look at how big Nike is again, Nike being right here in our backyard here in Oregon. And it's like, Virgil was able to make sports and athletic apparel high-end fashion, essentially. He was that dude. Yeah. I'm not surprised like that he's Jordan's... Basically, he, he, like, he's one of the sole reasons why it's cool to wear basketball shoes in a suit. Right. Right. Like, like, like Jordan's name being synonymous with Nike, of course, and obviously his namesake brand, Jordan brand, is no surprise to me because... Again, it's athletic apparel, it's sportswear, and Michael Jordan is ar arguably the greatest, greatest athlete American that we've ever seen. A great, exactly. So, like, yeah. there's no surprise there. But the fact that Virgil's name is held in similar regard in terms of him, his synonymity to those brands, obviously Jordan brand being Shit. under the tree of Nike. Synonymity. Synonymity, God. man. Big okay. words out here. But the fact that Virgil's name, that, that should tell you a lot about Virgil's impact on these athletes Virgil's impact on allowing these athletes to not just be athletes or be boxed into being athletes, but essentially, another big word here, becoming polysemic athletes. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you the definition of polysemic because Google it's it. Googleable. If Googleable is even a word, you can Google that too. But <laughs> but the polysemic athlete essentially and and what these athletes have been able to expand as in terms of being able to express themselves through fashion Virgil essentially made it to where these dudes and what they wear and street wear and athletic apparel has now become high-end fashion and that's just not something that you see like like you don't see that especially from a black man within that space so I'm not going to sit here and, and be all cliche because half of you may have never even heard who Virgil is in your life, but I'm not going to sit here and be cliche and say, oh, you got to give people their flowers when they're alive because you don't never know what it is that they're going through. And everybody's posting about Virgil now because it's like what it was that he accomplished, especially as somebody who is known as a disruptor 
because he was the first of his kind in a lot of these rooms and he disrupted the way we viewed high-end fashion and how we viewed high fashion at large. Obviously, being a disruptor in itself has a negative connotation to it. And most people that try to disrupt or attempt to disrupt are unsuccessful because of the negative connotation that goes with that word. But the dude was actually a success in being a disruptor. He broke barriers for so many athletes to be able to do. I mean, you look at Odell Beckham Jr. and what he's able yeah. to be as an athlete, not just because of his ability to catch a football, but because of his swag and because of his yeah. fashion. Russell Westbrook starting his own fashion line now. A lot of these dudes he, weren't able to do that not even 20 years yeah, ago. Exactly. Virgil was the dude that allowed it. No, he made he made it he made it easier for athletes to look more like themselves. Yes. Not what they looked like to the American public at large for a long time based on strictures that, you know, look like themselves media. anywhere too. Yeah. 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 Anywhere, they didn't have exactly. to switch it up and put on a suit to be able to go to the white house. They didn't have to. And I'm just, throwing random right, you know right. stuff out there but like exactly he they're, they're allowed to express themselves but not only express themselves but essentially i just to make money off of themselves as well based on who it is that they are yeah it's nothing that you can sell better than yourself it's it, it just <laughs> literally it's, you when you reveal that's what people i think want that's why content that's created now is may what we're doing even all of that stuff is to try to reveal more. Yes. We want to reveal as much as we can. And, and Virgil's influence on sports, especially yeah. when it comes as, as it pertains to fashion, it's like it allowed guys like Russell Westbrooks of the world. I mean, shit, even the LeBron Jameses and the Yeah, and they all were influenced to, to be by him. able to reveal themselves because if you remember, especially in the NBA, when that when David Stern put that uh dress, dress code, code yeah. in after Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson essentially. I mean, there were other cats. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But Iverson is the. But the, I mean, like that felt that. that felt like a very. You know what I mean? Like that. That was a hurtful thing. At least, at least from the accounts of the people that lived it. That's what it felt like. They're yeah. Like, oh, we can't dress the way that we want to dress. We can't look the way that that we actually look. Right. Like that's not acceptable to you. And a guy like Virgil, he said, "Well, you know, fuck that. <laughs> Who cares? We're gonna do it anyway." Yeah. Yeah, you know, disrupted. Even, He's even, a disruptor. Even, even, <laughs> even through this, okay, dress code, like, we're going to totally just break beyond all of that. And yeah. we're going to do whatever we want anyway. And and no one even talks about a dress code in the NBA anymore. Yeah. And dudes are w dressing wilder than they Wilder ever, than ever. Like, if David Stern was in the league today, he'd be like, okay, you guys. And look, for me personally. Do I have to dress you myself? Hey, look, he would not for, love yeah, it. For me personally, Half the stuff that these dudes wear in the NBA, I don't even like it, yeah, personally. And I'm only speaking for me personally. But I would much prefer them to wear something that I don't like that expresses them, that allows them to make money outside of what it is that they do on the court, that allows them to, to, to free themselves from being restricted from dress codes so that they can look a particular way that doesn't necessarily fit who they are I don't care if I like what they wear or not. Yeah. Coming wear down whatever you want, big showing homie. up to the arena, <laughs> whatever you want, rock man. what you want to rock. Yeah. Because I understand that 
you being able to express yourself in that manner, whether I like it or not personally, from an aesthetic standpoint, is going to allow for so many more opportunities. And there were guys like Virgil. One of the main guys is Virgil that that did allow for that. And you talked about, you know, how he disrupted and he was able to reveal more. And going back to what I was saying about not wanting to be cliche, talking about the We're flowers that he received. cliche right now, but that's okay. No, no, for sure. <laughs> but 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 I'm speaking to I'm more so speaking to again giving him his flowers while he's alive. I can't speak for Virgil, and I'm gonna do my best to kind of tiptoe around this without being insensitive. But the dude battled cancer privately for two years. If he wanted the flowers that we deemed to be flowers as a society, all he had to do was announce that he was battling cancer and we would have gave him those flowers. But for him, the priority wasn't him receiving his flowers. The priority was him to be able to break rec. I mean, to, to break barriers and allow us to be able to express ourselves through whatever art it is that we produce and the next generation be able to create opportunities to express in ways that past generations didn't. And a lot of the time, we don't look at that as the flowers and as the roses in terms of what it is that he actually was able to accomplish that was incomparable from anybody else and what they've accomplished. Yeah, well, I mean... I, Those are the ultimate flowers to me is that he actually broke the barriers. He actually laid a solid game. foundation. He actually changed the game. And to me, with him not announcing but still working throughout that entire time that he's battling terminal illness... That speaks volumes to what was prioritized by him while he was alive. It was the art. It wasn't our flowers. A lot of disruptors understand that me being this disruptor, my intent is to not even get flowers because I am taking on the grunt of this particular work to make it where generations to come can get flowers beyond just me. And, and, to me, like, that is the ultimate thing. Sure, he died young at 41 years old, but my goodness, being able to accomplish all that he can, that he was able to accomplish for future generations, whether we recognize that as living beings, beings right now, obviously it's appreciated. I think it's accepted. It's promoted. And, it, and I'm not anti-giving somebody their flowers while they're alive, so I don't want to sound that way. But also... The term just get, gets used a little bit loosely to me because those were the flowers, what it was that he was able to accomplish in his 41 years of living on this earth. Well, he got rich. He made a bunch of awesome art. He yeah. He changed an industry. I mean, yeah. he was fine. And, you know, people need to stop posting. I'll sound insensitive for you. Don't worry. If you don't <laughs> want to sound insensitive, I'll sound insensitive for you. You know, people need to stop posting about, you know, things that they do that they accomplish, quote unquote, just to try to get people to just to try to get attention to, 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 to garner to say, attention. Hey, I like that. Because when you do that, even if you, because if you do that, trying to get attention, especially when you couple that with things that you are actually passionate about, that actually bring you joy, that you actually love, that are part of, you know, your own personal self-worth outside of, other people's confirmation of that. Yeah. Then sooner or later, 
you won't get any happiness from the thing that you like. You'll only get the happiness from the attention that uh, it gives you. Absolutely. And so when you do that, then all of a sudden, I mean, dude, in a lot of ways, I see it happen. You know, with a, I see it happen. With, I've seen it happen with musicians a lot. You know, yeah, uh, that's, artists that's a the lot. Industry that you're it's, primarily in. It's tough. You know, it's yeah. a really tough thing to crack. Like, and, and it and it'll turn you. And that's yeah. why. And that's why. Like, who gives a shit what people have to say now? You know, exactly. especially when you're making timeless art. It's interesting. Because it's timeless art. It's going to be good for 100 years from now. Like, it's interesting that it. you say that because, again, circling a mainstream po topic back to this particular podcast and entity that we have right here that you all are listening to. I don't get gratification from doing this podcast based on numbers, support, even though all of that is encouraged, it's appreciated. I'm, I'm not being bitter about yeah, that. Yeah, follow, I'm not wake up, win on Instagram, subscribe, on, subscribe follow, come on, do all of the things. I'm, I'm not saying that. It takes click, and it's but, so quick. But come what I'm on, saying yeah. is, in terms of the list of my own personal priorities, when I created this podcast, it wasn't dictated on what type of numbers would I be able to do. What kind of guests will I be able to bring on this podcast? And damn it, we brought some great guests on this here podcast. With more to come. But absolutely, a whole lot more to come. But the things that like make me the happiest in regards to this podcast is when I have professors reaching out to me saying that they're using episodes as a part of their curriculum, curriculum for their collegiate classes. When I get reached out to from... Jessica Luther, who's a, a, an award-winning journalist, a New York Times best-selling author, uh, Kavita Davidson, another award-winning journalist, and they're writing a book. And because of the work this podcast has been able to do, they reach out to me to be able to give them a quote for their book that's going to live much longer than I will here on this earth. Those kind of things are far more gratifying to me than any interview that we can ever do. Now, do we put our all into these interviews? Do I, do I exalt my con? Uh, do I, I go through all my context and I exhaust? I said exalt. Do I exhaust my context to be able to bring great guests on this show? Absolutely. We love this. We care about it. We're passionate about it. But that's not what makes me most gratified about the work that we do here. And some people on the outside, even listeners included, may not realize that because it's like you can be blinded by the fact that, whoa, this guy had such and such on the podcast this week. Whoa, how did you do that? When for me, it's like, yeah, I'm grateful that I'm able to do that. But when I get those calls from professors and I know generations behind me are being educated off the work that I was able to do here in this life and that future generations are going to be able to be impacted by opening up loving sports when they don't love you back, which is going to be used in curriculums for a very long time. That's what makes me most grateful that this podcast was able to produce those kind of moments for generations to come. It's able to, to give a foundation for generations to come to be able to utilize so they can do greater things than what we're able yeah. to do sitting here behind well, this mic and recording. Everything that you do is a ripple in the continuum. Maybe even if it's not recorded for posterity Absolutely. forever on the internet. I'm just using that as you an know? example. I'm just no, using no, the podcast no, no. as an for example. Sure. But yeah, no, I agree. No, for sure. I, I'm just saying that, like, you know, you got to just do things for yourself. I, man, when I stopped playing music, bro, like when I took, because I, I haven't played gigs, as you well know, for, you know, coming up on two and a half years now, really. 
Like, I, I realized that in that time that I was not playing, dude, since I was 11 years, a little kid before that, I mean, yeah. elementary school, church when I was five. Right. I've been on stage performing music, playing yeah. my entire life. Absolutely. And I realized when I had stopped playing just sort of out of nowhere, really right before I could have, if I would have just been like, if I just keep thugging it out now, I'll probably break to this new thing, you know, a new plateau that whatever. And it, it really, I never had as much fun playing in front of 20,000 people as I have playing by myself in my room, even when I was 13 years old. Yeah. And when I got to the point that that wasn't happening for me anymore, that I wasn't feeling both of those, you know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't feel the same as it did when I was younger. I was like, well, it's because I'm pitting my passion and this thing that just makes me who I am and just something that I'm going to do whether anyone listens or a million people listen. Right. Up against other people's you know idea of me and and making myself worth supposed to be against that like you know what I'm saying? it just it, yeah. it didn't feel good for me and so I got out and right now like doing the podcast is you know just I mean just being on a microphone talking being able to do this yeah rap like this it feels just as good I mean I'll do I'll still be rocking with you doing this podcast whether people are fucking listening or not for as long as Zeb wants to keep letting us come into the studio <laughs> and get it going you know Absolutely man absolutely but yeah man like I said again obviously we kind of went off into a rant there but rest in peace to Virgil yeah. I, I am one to believe his, his stuff's going to live on forever Not that my belief matters forever. too much but I am one to believe that his stuff is is obviously already living on beyond beyond his life expectancy and not even expectancy, but his life period. Um, and yeah, his impact, his influence, it is going to have such a huge, just, it's going to hold so much value in the space of fashion for black people, for people of color, for people who aren't white, especially <laughs> because those are the people that you see a lot of the times owning a lot of this high end stuff and not even just white in terms of like white America. I'm speaking overseas as well. Like, like things that we wouldn't be able to touch here. Virgil was able to touch out in Paris and London and all of these major cities beyond just America. Like his reach is, is like I said, it's incomparable. And that to me is what we should be speaking on and exalting and holding in high regard at this time, rather than wishing that we told him who he was or why he was who he was while he was alive. Again, I'm not anti that, but that's just not necessarily what I want to focus yeah, on just, when I speak of his that's passion. That's just shit that people say to make themselves feel better about the death. Yeah, I mean, it's when, when you're dead. You don't care what people are saying about cliche you. Cliche usually you're dead. feels good, whether it's right or wrong. Because it's it's cliche, it's usually just accepted, and people just want to feel accepted, and they just <laughs> want to feel good about them. I mean, to feel good about loss and about yeah. death, to be like, oh, you know, I just saw him, or I, I told him I loved him every day. It's right. like that's just at that point, you're just saying those things for yourself to make yourself feel good, which I'm not. I don't hate on. Again, I mean, I'm not anti any, any of the of things that, that no, I'm talking. No, I'm not no, anti no. that. But you know, when when you're dead, you know, you're gone to wherever we go next, and. And that's it. And like I say, as long as you do the things that you just like to do, even if you don't get to a level where you're international, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're going to be fine. Absolutely, you know what I mean? man. His impact, like I said, for him to be able to impact and affect athletic apparel. Because if he wasn't fine as in a his non-athlete, mind, if he wasn't fine in his mind and in his heart about what his 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 fate was or who he was or how his career went or whatever, 
he would have probably went online and been like, oh, I'm done. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm almost to out of here. To be able to receive that. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. be able to receive that yeah. love that we think he wanted to have. But yeah. like I said, the dude battled this thing privately for over two years, and we didn't know until he actually passed. So what he really loved was the art. And, I mean, like I said, the impact that he, he had. He went out in, like the Black Panther, bro. Absolutely. The impact that he had in sports and athletic apparel – as somebody who was an architect by trade, had nothing to do with sports. His background wasn't an athletic background per se, but it has allowed for us that are a part of sports to become so much more expansive than, like I said, we were even 20 years ago. And I'm somebody that's grateful That's grateful for that because although sports is probably my biggest passion, I'm passionate about a whole lot of other stuff too. And I wouldn't want me being in the world of sports to hinder my ability to be able to be passionate and thrive in other spaces that I'm passionate about. And that's part of the conversation we had a while ago, a few episodes ago, when we were talking about NBA on TNT and the fact that they're no longer broadcasting games on Thursday. And I'm like, look, Shaq, Chuck, Kenny, EJ, they probably were ecstatic about that not because they don't love going in the studio and doing what they do and argue and created what i deem to be the greatest sports show of all time with nba on tnt but Shaq loves going out there and rocking these festival events and DJing at at EDC and all of these big time festivals and the fact that he's able to now have time to not only broadcast and be a sports broadcaster but also go dj at the biggest festivals known to man that is dope yeah it's invaluable too. it's invaluable it's 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 dope and you gotta be able to do a bunch of different things man you know us millennials man we're the masters at that shit dude yeah 10 12 different things like i said i love being able to we're gonna be the masters. i love to be being able to dial in and do the work that i do with street roots by day and then after i get off go put on a suit and then go do a espn plus broadcast for portland state by night like like or then the next night go dj or, or then get a downtown. call and, and go to da- and, and go, go DJ downtown, out. and then get a phone call from Simba and say, "Hey, you want to come DJ for me yeah. in Atlanta this weekend?" And I got the time to be able to do it. I love being able to do all of that more than just me being able to be a broadcaster, which I obviously love to do as well. But being able to do it all, like having the freedom do and the rain all, to be able baby. to do it, do it do all. It we all. only live this life do once. Do it all, baby. We only live this life Wake once. Wake up and win, listeners. Get out there and do it all, man. He made the world of sports so much more expansive than, than people even recognize. And that, to me, is great as a lover of sport. And again, that's only speaking from a lens of sports because we're sports dudes. This is more of a, you know, primarily a sports podcast in a lot of ways. But there's people in the fashion world that could speak it to it, speak to it from a different lens. There's people in all sectors of entertainment that could speak to Virgil's impact and how it made their sector of entertainment become a lot more expansive mm. based on what it was that he did. So just, you know, rest in peace again, condolences to his family. And, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he was able to accomplish all that he was able to accomplish and be able to see in real time the impact, the influence, and the opportunities it's created for black people, for the culture, and beyond. Big deal, big deal. Let's lighten the mood up a little bit here, Spencer. Um, The NBA is lit. 
The NBA is on 10. If it's up, then it's up, man. I love it. Every night is something it's so good. amazing. It's pretty good. And I'm looking at standings, and it's all super knotted up already. We're about 20 games or so into the season. I want to ask you this. It's now that we fantastic. are 20 games into the season, we did the on wax segment a couple weeks ago. and We did. My good friend, childhood friend of mine, Juan Toscano Anderson of the Golden State Warriors, tweeted, 30 the best player in the world, and it's not close earlier this week. I mean, there's, it's not on paper It's not true. far-fetched to say. Sure, I guess in this particular moment in time. Well, but I mean. We talked about it. Steph Curry, you called him for MVP. Absolutely, on and that I, segment. So and the I called, season he's having, I'm not surprised at at all. And I called for a one Mr. Giannis Antetokounmpo to have an MVP season because though, even though he started off a couple of, you know, a little rocky initially, comparatively to Steph, who shot out of like, he started like he shot out of a fucking cannon. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in basketball on the planet. I said, today. I said this before on this podcast and we, we had a huge debate about it right here in this very room. D-Boy was here because in his eyes, Kevin Durant was the best player in the world. But to me, and I'll still stand on it and say it, even though I hear you, Juan, but to me, July 20th, 2021, Giannis Antetokounmpo became the best basketball player in the world. And here's the thing, and this is the reason why I don't necessarily, like I said, I wouldn't argue against what Juan is saying. One of the biggest criticisms that I received when Giannis, when I made that statement that July 20th, 2021, Giannis became the best basketball player in the world was that I was a prisoner of the moment, essentially. And my thing was, that couldn't be further from the truth. The dude had already won back-to-back -back MVPs. He'd won a defensive player of the year. He had accomplished so many other things prior to him ultimately having a 50-point performance in a closeout game, winning a national championship. With the second greatest block a finals, in NBA history. Uh, yeah, becoming a finals MVP. Like, that huh. day is not the reason why oh. I'm saying he's oh, yeah. the greatest basketball player in the world. It's that day tacked on by everything else that he accomplished prior to that. Bro. And I feel the same way about Steph Curry when Juan speaks of Steph Curry in that way. Like, it's not far-fetched for him to say that because obviously he's playing the best basketball in the world right now. Again, yeah. I predicted he'd be the MVP this season on our On Wax segment that we do at the top of every NBA season. But it's not like we haven't seen this dude be the best player in the world before. He's got two MVPs. He's got three we championships. He was in he's broken all kind 20s. of rep records. Like, we've seen this before. So it's not far-fetched because the resume that he'd already built up to this point and now he's doing what he's doing in this moment in time, it validates Juan's opinion without him sounding crazy. Except... Steph is 33. Giannis Antetokounmpo is 26 years old. He is an absolute freak. I tell you, when I saw, I think it was, God, it must have been the one of the first handful of games this season. When I seen this play, Giannis Antetokounmpo, dribble, dribble drive, left hand, shrug off the defender, step back on the elbow. Looked, I mean, looked like Kevin Durant. And, and Shaq had a baby. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, if he's going to do that, 
Forget it for the next five years. He's that dude. Forget man. it. He's that dude. He's, he's going to be in his prime. And listen, Steph Curry can play as well as he's going to play. He can play at this level and right Steph's now. Steph's my favorite player for the in the rest basketball. of his career. For yeah. the rest of his career. But as it stands right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the better basketball player, even still over the numbers that Steph is putting up right now. I agree. At, at his age, which are still like lights out, throw, throw a dart. At a board, and he could have an MVP season with the way he's playing right now in like fifty different fucking seasons. And by the way, you know, and by the way, Steph could still become the best player in the world by the end of the season. Well, you know, I I, I just I, don't think he's there yet. I do I, think it's still Giannis, and I think until Giannis is dethroned, I'm not having that conversation again because his numbers are astronomical. And obviously, I've said what I said, and when it comes to my theory of why I think Giannis is the best player in the world, is because. Nobody, and I mean nobody, even though Steph is very improved defensively. Um, Kendra Andrews wrote a great article about it recently, but still to this day, nobody dominates both sides of the basketball to the magnitude, and I'm speaking accumulatively, obviously, not what can he do offensively or what he can do off defensively. I'm speaking what Giannis Antetokounmpo does offensively and defensively combined. Nobody impacts this sport greater. Nobody is more dominant in the world, and nobody does it to the magnitude that Giannis does it to. And now he's a champion on top of that. So until and he, he wants gets another dethroned and, yeah. and the numbers are support. I mean, I, they're on a nine-game win streak right now as see, we speak. But, but I don't even like – I've never even liked the way that the MVP has been evaluated over a lot of mm. the last numbers of years. Tell me more. I don't think that it takes into account both ends of the ball as cleanly okay. as it should. Right. Now, MVP – I've always said this value of a player as it stands today in the current NBA climate should take into account all advanced metrics, all eye tests, all basic stats that we've been using to evaluate the, 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 the skill of players and also straight up monetary value, advertisement value. Mm. I mean, look, man, they just kicked LeBron's Lakers and Kawhi's Clippers off of a national yeah, game. They did to get the the Suns Warriors matchup. Rematch, which, yeah. which now look on paper, you say, okay, well they're the two hottest teams in the league. Yeah, ah, 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 but not so fast. If you look at the the injury report, guess who's not playing? Devin Booker. Guess who is playing? Stephen Curry. Yeah. So the NBA and ESPN. And and the TV pundits, they all went got together and they said, even without our young star in in Devin Booker, we still would rather see Steph Curry out there than LeBron. I mean, he he's the best show in basketball. He's the best one. But okay. interesting, interesting uh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah caveat yeah, 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 time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now LeBron is Cook. playing because why? They thought because they why he, why Devon why is he playing, bro? COVID protocols. Oh, how baby. did he do that? How did he do <laughs> that, bro? How did he do that? He felt like how he did didn't he really have that? COVID, and he tested positive for COVID. He came out and complained and said <laughs> something's fishy is going on here. Le then fishy you get an it's trending on then Twitter. Then you get an right announcement, as we speak. As we <laughs> then speak. you get an announcement that. 
his game versus the Clippers is being kicked off of an oh, ESPN broadcast no. because of the Warriors in the Suns game, and now he's yeah, he's, he's oh, cleared oh, he and he's available two, to play. He pulls two clean COVID tests out of his sleeve like a goddamn musician. <laughs> and but here, look, it came a little moment too soon. That's why I'm saying, dude, the, the the drama is so real in yeah. this league. That's the tip of the iceberg. He should feel absolutely disrespected. LeBron James, absolutely, one hundred percent. Why? The fact that that game there, got the fact that that game, no, the got, game kicked got kicked off the broadcast is crazy. That was that's disrespectful. It's crazy. That's disrespectful. Listen, Look, crazy. I'd rather I, I'm not mad at the decision because for one, like I said, Steph Curry's my favorite player. I root for the Warriors from the base on, so yada yada yada. We'll do, we'll do, we'll do. But if I'm LeBron. I am not okay with my nationally televised game being kicked off less than 48 it's, hours prior to tip-off. It's December. Why? Why? They're, they're trying. This is why it's bullshit, because they're trying to prop it up like they want to just see the best, best brand of basketball played. Right. Because on paper, it looks like that. Yeah. But it's not. It's a, they're trying to get Steph Curry in front of the TV screen because he's the hottest thing going in this particular moment in the NBA. And it looks from a guy like LeBron's standpoint, I'm very well sure to be like, well, you guys are just going to, it looks like I'm quote unquote washing away. Yeah. And now all of a yeah. sudden you guys are just going to kick my ass to the curb. Yeah. I've been playing in this league for 19 seasons. And I've done more for it than arguably anybody that's ever I'm, played I'm in the, it. I'm the billion More than anybody that's in it right now. Man. I'm the billion, I'm the billion dollar, dollar man. man. Yeah. What are you talking about? Wow. He's hot to trot right now, and he should be. But this is what I'm saying. It's bullshit. And 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 to, to, but we, to oh, go ahead. It would never go happen. Off. This would never happen to Michael Jordan. Never. Well, it would no, never okay. happen to Michael but, Jordan. But, the, but they didn't have the they or even the, Kobe. But they didn't have this machine that they have now mm -hmm. in the NBA. You know what I mean? They didn't have what they have now. But who is LeBron not to feel like this is a personal attack against him, especially with all that it is I, that he's been willing to stand for in the position that he's in that most guys that have been inherently close to him might not be able to touch with a 10-foot pole. I mean, you could perceive it as personal attack, but I'm I feel it just I'm feels speaking like, if you're if you're if you're in LeBron's shoes, no, putting I yourself just, in LeBron's I, no, shoes. I, I, I think but I think LeBron is I mean he's he's high enough up in this game and, and done enough of this to know that I mean at least you should know. He knows more than me, obviously. I know nothing. Let me just yeah, yeah, let yeah, me yeah, just yeah, yeah. put that but we're out here. There. But, Talk about it. But you know, it we just ain't shows, scared of you, LeBron. It just shows. No, I just mean that. Like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking just, about from I'm, the no podcast, no, man. It's NBA. entertainment. It's for the people. No, no, no. no. <laughs> what, 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 I, what you should be directing that comment toward, I think, is toward you know fucking executives in the in the NBA. Yeah, and 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 TV people. I agree. And advertising. I people. do agree. There. It just shows again and again. Even LeBron James. I mean, sure, this is a nothing issue ultimately, but it just goes to show. But that, he feels some type of way because, about it, and because, because he's because LeBron people, and he feels some type of way about it, it's an issue now. Because it's like, oh, I'm at the top of this thing, and you can just treat me like I'm disposable at, at any given time. And it's like, bro, it's not personal necessarily. It's just because these people are so inept at their job, coupled with greedy as fuck, that they're just going to be like, as soon as I do, you you see it at every level, mismanagement at every, in every industry at every level. Yeah, mismanagement is people who go something happens and they don't know how to react to it. They go knee jerk and then they throw people under the bus. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they cut people out of yeah. whatever new developments that they try to make that that are not based in any absolutely real like. 
heart or instinct or or in a lot of cases baseline knowledge of the game <laughs> like you do I no agree. one gives you're talking I mean, brother you're but, talking but like you said devon but like you said to me a mere two hours ago maybe why do we want to see the Suns and the Warriors right now when you already have a Christmas Day game slated for them in the month of December that's going to be an unbelievable the biggest it's the stupidest thing in the it world It makes to no me. sense to. It's just I don't understand why any Christmas game matchups would be played prior to Christmas. That's my theory essentially is that the fact that the Suns and the Warriors are scheduled to play on Christmas Day, which has become the NBA's day in American sports flat out. They put together the biggest regular season matchups that we all expect to see leading into the season. Obviously, what happens on the floor happens on the floor between October and Christmas Day. But still, the intent of Christmas Day games is to put the best possible matchups you can on that particular day because that has become the NBA's heralded day when it comes to holidays in America, holidays period. The fact that the Suns and the Warriors are playing twice prior to that day and now it just looks even worse because they ended up actually being the best two teams in the league in terms of record and standings and output is absolutely blasphemous from whoever it was that made that decision because you could have put the first matchup between the Warriors and the the Suns on Christmas Day and they could have met again in March and April or February and March or January and like like it It just gave people a reason who who made that decision NBA dude I I think it's who made it I think it's people who like they just don't know what the fuck they're doing at all. And they just yeah. like go, well, we need to make money. We need to put the best match up here so we can make the most, uh, you know, advertising dollars. We need broadcast money. We need to make sure that the broadcast people are happy. So we need to flip the script immediately. It's You don't do that, dude. Imagine. It just makes you look stupid because you're supposed to have this stuff logistically worked out before the season. We see it all the time. When guys leave mid whatever, the shitty matchups just stay shitty matchups. Yeah. You take your L. You don't. I don't get it, man. You know what I mean? You don't don't jack up your your cash cow to try to make a few extra shillings in December. In December. A lot of people say say that NBA doesn't – a lot of people out there feel that the NBA doesn't start until Christmas Day anyway. Yeah. So the fact that you know that, you know how highly regarded your Christmas Day schedule is – like I said, why are the Warriors and the Suns playing two times prior to that? I don't care if they were going into that game as the two bottom teams in the NBA. It's just magnified that they just so happen to be the two top teams in the NBA, and this is happening. But say something happened where you thought they were going to be this good of teams, and they dealt with a whole bunch of injuries, and they both got off to a shit start. I'm still not ever putting a matchup that I have on Christmas Day, the first matchup, I'm not putting a match. That's not going to be the second or the third matchup for these teams. That's going to be the first matchup, and then we'll figure out two more times for them to play against each other through January and April. Plenty of teams to watch. Plenty of teams to watch. Although, on the other end of things, it is a little fishy that LeBron James was outright 10 days 
base that's the COVID protocol as we all have gone known to understand it since the beginning of this shit as it yeah. pertains to the NBA. And now all of a sudden, just like Magic, he produces two in a row COVID tests within a two day period. And which, they switched the broadcast. Like, why did they do it, that? I, I, I because it looks way again, it magnifies it. It looks way it more looks, fishy. He called it fishy before they even made the announcement that they were switching. Yeah, the timing broadcast. is everything, and it, the timing is very interesting on this one. It's very interesting For on sure. this one. So, but at the end of the day, I still think Giannis is the best player in the world. Juan, I love you, bro. I'm proud of you. I'm glad. That you're able to do what you're doing for us for the hometown team. And listen, Steph Curry's my favorite player in the world. So I hope and pray that by the end of by the end of this season, he dethrones Giannis from being the best player in the world by going out there and bringing another championship back to the Bay. Because you know what? I'm catching the first plane smoking right back to <laughs> Oakland, and I will see you at the parade, brother. Next up. Say that then. <laughs> You got to take an L oh, today, man. man. We haven't done taking L's in so long, so let's reintroduce the My taking L segment. Let, the same I, I as just, yours. let me just reintroduce the segment first, because we ain't done it in a while. Yeah, yeah, a little, a little wake up and win recap, if you will. So obviously, we're called the Wake Up and Win podcast, and we like to, you know, talk about the intersection of sports, politics, culture, and. We like to talk about it in a way where there's some kind of a winning takeaway from that. There's some kind of a takeaway and there's something that we can bring up and make you think about that most can't. That's the intent of it. It ain't always going to be perfect. It's not always going to happen, but that's the intent of it. Obviously, if you want to take it a little bit deeper with this being primarily a sports podcast, winning and sports are synonymous. And with us also having a political element to this podcast, being woke in air quotes. And I know some people are tired of the woke crowd and the woke, <laughs> the woke mob or whatever it is that you want to call it. Being woke has become a synonymous word with political affiliation. So wake up and win sports, politics, again, Connect Cultural, the dots. You see it what it is. So with the take an L segment, we come in and we talk about who took an L this week in regards to those particular subcategories that I just mentioned to you that create what this podcast is all about, the mission and the goal of this podcast, the objective of this podcast. So with the take an L segment, you can call it taking losses because obviously losing is the opposite of winning. Or you can say, if you want to be a little bit nicer about it, you can say a lesson. You can call a loss a oh, lesson. I thought you were going to say lump. <laughs> no, nah, you can call a loss a lesson, not a lump. That wasn't where I was going there. But you can call a loss a lesson. Some people, you know, lessons ain't lessons ain't losses, whatever, whatever. However you want to do it. If you want to feel a little harsh, tell them they're taking a loss. If you want to feel good about it and try to encourage the loser that, hey, this is just a lesson, you can do Shut that up, too. buddy. You'll get them next week. You'll get them next week. So this week, my taking L's has to go to Ennis Cantor Freedom is Ennis his name now. Cantor Freedom. Shout outs to Ron Artest. Yeah, that's mine too, man. Go off on this cat, bro. Ennis Cantor Freedom. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Ennis Cantor, which was his original name prior to earlier this week, um, he came from Turkey. He's from Turkey. He's an international player that plays in the NBA. Again, we all know the NBA is a global sport. It's a lot of international players within it. Cantor was one of those dudes, still is one of those dudes. Plays for the Boston Celtics. 
Um, and he has been very outspoken politically. Like he's been a very politically charged dude. And a lot of people were fooled essentially because they felt that he was on a particular side. Let's just put it that way. For lack of a better term, they felt that Ennis Cantor was a part of a, of a particular side. In fact, my good friend, United States Senator of Ron, uh, Ron United States Senator representing Oregon, Ron Wyden. He came out in interviews. I've talked to him on the Street Roots podcast. And he's told me, he's told my buddy Orlando Sanchez over at KGW that he feels that Ennis Cantor is going to be a politician someday. That's high praise coming from a United States senator. And I'm not saying he tricked Senator Wyden in particular, but I'm just telling you what this dude has been heralded as in terms and in regards of the political stances he has taken up until the last week or so <laughs> when he came out, he absolutely shit on LeBron James and LeBron James's affiliation with Nike and the sweatshops and so on and so forth, which, Hey, we all know that with corporatism comes a lot of BS. Uh, many of you know about the Nikes and the Nike and sweatshops, yada, yada, yada. But he went directly at LeBron because obviously LeBron has been very politically outspoken. Well, earlier this week on Monday, Ennis Cantor changes his name to Ennis Cantor Freedom, and he is now a resident of the United States. Obviously, he came from Turkey, so he is now an American citizen, and he goes on Fox News with Tucker Carlson, and you know what? I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to get this clip. Y'all bear with me one second. I'll ahead. tell you what, real quick. I never thought it's it gets dicey, and it's been getting dicier. But I was always hoping that we would never have to talk about Tucker Carlson on this show. But yeah, but thanks here we to Ennis Cantor, freedom. To be Americans as you were. I mean, my teammates actually, you know, were really happy for me because they knew the struggle that I had the last, you know, six years. Uh, you know, it was. A funny joke in the beginning because they were calling me Mr. Freedom and now it became a reality. But uh, I think my teammates were like the the one that, you know, was my like my brothers, you know. Um, it was just so amazing because their support gave me so much hope and motivation to fight and fight for what's right. So I definitely give a lot of credit to my teammates. It seems like people who move here from countries that are not free appreciate the freedoms here much more than a lot of us who grew up with those freedoms. Does, have you noticed that? You know, I feel like I'm going to just say this, and I'm going to be honest. People should feel really blessed and lucky to be in, this, be, in, uh, be in America because, you know, they love to criticize it, but when you leave a country like Turkey or, or you know, China or somewhere else, you will appreciate the freedoms you have here. Yes. You know, that is exactly so I feel like they should just, please, they, they should just keep their mouth shut and stop criticizing the greatest nation in the world. And they should focus on, you know, the, their freedoms and their human rights and their uh, democracy. So this is, America gave me everything I have. So I, I definitely appreciate uh, the United States of America. That's it. Dude, it's tough, man. He basically said, shut up and dribble, yeah, Americans. He did, okay, yes, but the worst the worst part about that is, is that, I mean, 
you don't even have to know who Tucker Carlson is and listening to that clip. And you can just hear in the way that he's framing that question, the yeah. tonality behind the way. It's like it's all prescribed to manipulate the narrative. It, with that that clip when he says, I think that they should just shut their mouths. I mean, you know that all those producers on that show were like, dunk, slam, slam dunk. dunk. We got it. Score. That's our clip right there yep. that we're going to run into the ground and manipulate every which way. And that's what fucking sucks here because Enos Cantor, it, let me just try to be as responsible real quick about this. Go take for it. Let me try to look at it from like the objective, responsible, like, let me try to bend logic to give this guy the benefit of the doubt here for a second. He is coming from a place of great political strife. He has gone through a lot of, you know, issues. I mean, the dude was, I mean, a political fugitive from Turkey. It was said that if he was going to go back there, they would cut his head off. And, like, that's direct quote stuff. Beheaded. So I understand his frustration. He must feel a lot of relief and a lot of emotions right now. I'd be like, I'm finally a citizen. I can, like, start to, like, build beyond this these issues that I've had in the past with my nation. You know, a guy that's 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 politically charged up that feels pride for their whatever their nation or whatever like uh, i can understand a lot of feelings the problem where enos cancer i think fucked up is is that you you should have had you should have been able to sniff out this thing he wants his platform to be radical and to say his thing and to and to express his views but right it's like they're going to manipulate your message and they're going to i mean just the way he led that question tucker carlson for for what it's worth that dude is crafty as hell bro. but that I don't think it was that crafty, and the reason why I don't think I it do. was that crafty— I do. I think crafty, they had a conversation about exactly what Enos wanted to say, and Tucker knew exactly what to sprinkle around the statement that Enos came in to make. Okay, Tucker Carlson is crafty, which is why he's in, the positions he's, in, he's in the position he's in. But Enos Cantor is absolutely—Enos Cantor Freedom, whatever the hell his name he's is. not innocent in this. I, absolutely not. He should have never went on the show. Sure, of course. But if a guy wants a platform— he he's plays gonna, he's in gonna the go NBA. wherever he's gonna he's go, been, right? He could have went to other platforms so that I, have the same impact and influence that Tucker Carlson has, but he chose to go on Tucker Carlson's show the day that he became an American citizen. That was the problem. We know who Tucker Carlson is. We yeah. know what Tucker Carlson yeah. stands for. So the fact that he even showed up and went on the show, that's all we expected yes. Tucker to ever do. So if you want to call him crafty because he's become proven and being able to do exactly what he did to Ennis Cantor, cool. But for Ennis Cantor to go on there, especially following the criticisms that he's recently made of LeBron James, yeah, who is Mr. Out. Shut Up and Dribble himself oh, from man. the same news station that Ennis went on to speak to Tucker Carlson, tells me everything I need to know about Ennis Cantor freedom. He is being used. He's being used by people to feel accepted in a country because he has lacked acceptance in his home country. And I thought that he was being accepted by a particular group of people that he wouldn't have switched up on him like he just did on Fox News, going to Tucker Carlson, shitting on LeBron, so on and so forth. Like, if you wanted to shit on LeBron, I'm I'm sure you could have reached out and had a conversation. He's he doing all he of did. this. Through. He said he did. Okay, even if it didn't happen. And guess happen. what? LeBron said, I don't want to have a conversation with exactly. you. Exactly. Even if it didn't happen. Even if he said that he reached out to have a conversation with LeBron, what did LeBron 
John do for you to want to speak out publicly against him where your feelings just hurt? I think it's just because he's just a radical cat and he likes to talk his shit. That's why he, I, I 100%, by the way, I was just playing devil's advocate, as you I, well I'm, know. I'm cool. I, you you, you, you got I, an eruption out of me. Because <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> but I mean, dude, it's like, bro, you've been an American citizen for like Well, I didn't plan it, days. so good job for you planning it. You know, I didn't know you were Yeah, I, I, it's like you've been an American citizen for however many days and you turn coat immediately. Immediately. You're being used up. Whilst simultaneously just being the most hypocritical you can be on this issue, while I mean, you go and read the the, the article in the Oregonian, they cover it, I think, very nicely in a way that because you have to understand this hurts Blazer, the Portland community, a lot Absolutely. too because he's a he's a lot Blazer and, 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 and a beloved figure like in I said, Blazer sports. I think about Senator Ron White and my I would and again shout out to Hank Stern too, Hank Stern who is an avid listen to the listener. Of this show works for Senator Ron White, and he's the head of his communications department, right? And I would be willing to bet, and and Hank, I wouldn't feel no type of way about you if you reached out to me and told me that I was wrong. But I would be willing to bet that Senator Ron Wyden, who has said this dude was going to be a politician someday, and who supported this dude, and he is not alone. I've seen Dave Zirin come out and make comments about it. I've seen Shireen Ahmed come out and say make comments about. It. I've seen so many people say that they felt absolutely tricked by Ennis Cantor in this moment. But to Senator Ron Wyden, who's our senator, one of our two um, United States senators, you know, from Oregon, because I know Wyden a little bit better, I don't think he would agree with what Ennis Cantor just did and what he just said, because Wyden gets shitted on, I'm sure, time and again, by that same exact station, by that same exact oh, yeah. news company oh, yeah. for the work that he does and the things that he brings to uh, to Congress and to Senate and so on and so forth. I mean, he's one of the longest heralded senators that we have. He's longest tenured is the word that I was looking for. He's one of the longest tenured senator that, that, that we've had. He's the head of the Senate Finance Committee, and we know where he stands, and I'm sure that... Cantor going to that platform and making, if even if you call it a mistake, making the mistake that yeah, he made exactly. felt really elementary. Yeah. That's an elementary you're, mistake you're to make. You're a grown ass man. You're a you grown man, eyes. and you, you know what you're known. doing, bro. You, you know, know what, what you're doing. You, you know, you know he knows. I'm not even gonna say he should have known he, what he was doing. I'm well, not even gonna give what, him that benefit of the doubt. He knew what he well, was doing. Well, that's what makes it scary because it's like if it really is like that, then then yes. And, the, the feeling of being tricked and, and that sort of switch up is it, it's very jarring and it's hurtful, but I, I glad, I'm glad that you started off the segment by saying, you know, taking losses or taking lessons. Like if it is a lesson, if it is something that he just, Oh man, I just, I don't know what got a hold of me emotionally. I just, I made a couple of wrong moves and you know how sometimes you just get it yourself into situations. You don't know how you got there. If that's the case for Enos, I hope it is. And I hope he learns his lesson. The problem is, is that because it was so cut and dry, hypocritical and stupid, even if you claim and that you learned your lesson, it's the build you have up. no more validity. For, yep. You have no more validity past yep. this, dude. It's no one's going to give you a time, the time of day after this, even if you go, I fucked up. And I want to be clear because I don't want people to take this a certain way that I'm saying that people shouldn't go on shows or on platforms where their views don't align because I'm somebody that here locally, and I've talked about it here before, even though I've never been on his show before, one of the people that I do appreciate because of the dialogues that I was able to have with him is Lars Larson, who locally 
the most conservative dude. I mean, he's a nationally syndicated radio host. He's he's very well known for his conservative takes in the in the broadcast industry. Like he's held in high regard, one of the top 100 most important talkers in America, whatever it is, so on and so forth. He's a big dog when it comes to conservative talk radio. And I am very grateful for the moments that I had working for the same company as, as Lars Larson. Not that our conversations were ever really on wax. He came in the studio, I think, once or twice before while, while we were doing our radio show. But day in and day out, Lars and I would debate. We would talk. We would have conversations. We would go back and forth. That was almost the way that we got warmed up for our radio shows. And to an extent, I'm very grateful for it. I was I learned a lot from the dude. Um I didn't agree with maybe 95% of what it was that he said, but a lot of the things that he said, some of it I was unaware of. So I was able to go dig in and do my own research. And again, being able to just have that dialogue with somebody in the same industry as you, who is a big dog in the industry, just to be quite frank and to be able to learn from him in ways that yeah. allowed me to strengthen my stance yeah, and strengthen it, what it is that I was able to stood on. I'm very grateful for that. So I'm not one that's saying if you're a liberal, you shouldn't go on conservative radio. If you're conservative, you shouldn't go on liberal radio. I'm not that dude. I want anybody to be able to talk to anybody. What I'm saying is it's the lead up and what it was that he did prior to getting on Tucker Carlson's Carlson show that made this Tucker Carlson moment such a big deal yeah. by the ways in which he criticized LeBron and going and basically making the same mistake that, and I don't even want to call it a mistake for them because they, they believe in their shut up and dribble stuff over there at Fox News. But you would go on the same platform that is the shut up and dribble platform and then essentially go say, shut up and dribble to yeah. American citizens as somebody who stood up and had stood up against leaders in your own country for whatever for whatever reasons. You don't know LeBron's plight out here, bro. You don't know black America's plight. And the problem is you're trying to compare these plights because you feel like you come from worse circumstances, but I don't give a damn if you come from worse circumstances. You don't know my circumstances. You haven't lived in my shoes in America and the plight that it is that I have to face, that I have to deal with with so on and so forth so don't disrespect my plight and i won't disrespect yours but that was the ultimate disrespect in my opinion mm. because of the lead up to that interview it wasn't the actual interview itself and what he said in the interview he could come back from that but the fact that he was taking the steps for that moment to become what it came i feel some type of way about it and that's why he's getting to take an l from me enos cancer hold this l yeah and there ain't no Ennis Canner freedom around here. It's Ennis Canner hold to sell. On that note, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go, go win. win.